When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Sailing and Cruising the East Coast of the United States podcast. I'm Bailey Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. Hey, Mike, we have another repeat guest on the show today, uh, someone who's been on the show before, and I think uh, we had did a great job, and that person is Heath Moldveen. If you remember, he was a guest in episodes 43 and 44, and in those two episodes, we discussed anti-fouling paint. Uh, that's of interest to all mariners uh, who have boats, particularly in salt water, uh, as Heath works for Seahawk Paint Company, and they make all sorts of bottom paints and anti-fouling paints for the marine industry. And in this episode, uh, Heath and I discussed an adventure he had this past summer when his boat sank at the dock during Tropical Storm Ida. So it was a real adventure, and... Uh, you know, I know Heath from skiing, so he and I are both on the ski patrol at Gore Mountain in upstate New York, and uh, that's where I met him many years ago, and um, I learned that his boat sank, so I said, hey, this has got to be a good episode to hear about, you know, his trials and tribulations of what you go through when that happens, because I think he's the only person I know who's uh, had that unfortunate incident. And, you know, as he described it, when we were having our conversation, he received the dreaded phone call from the marina early in the morning. <laughs> and it's one phone call that nobody wants to get. And where the story is, uh, I don't know how to tell you this, but your boat has sunk. So there's lots of good tips and lessons in our conversation I had with Heath. And we broke this into two parts because it's uh, a long uh, episode. So part one, this is part one. And uh, part two will be coming out shortly. Great, Bela. I'm excited. Um, you know, I was really fascinated. I was a little bit reticent at first when you told me we were going to do two episodes on anti-fouling paint, okay? But I learned a lot, and Heath is a great guest, so I'm excited that you invited him back, and I'm excited to, to hear the story. But hey, Mike, before we dive into the conversation, I want to ask you a question. So what do you think about our logo? Well, Bela, our logo, hmm... Do you really want my German style, very direct feedback or maybe not? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lay it on me, Mike. Give me the direct feedback German style. Mm, I think it looks very amateurish and I and, think it could be a lot better. Excellent. You know, I feel the same thing. And you know why it's amateurish? Why? Because I did it. <laughs> it, was a, <laughs> it was a picture that I took. And I just put some lettering on it and uh, name of the podcast, and that was it. And I clearly do not have any graphic design skills. After all, I'm an engineer, and those two things typically don't go together. Uh, so I was thinking it'd be a good idea to sort of get a better-looking logo. And uh, I was hoping that maybe some of our listeners 
uh, have some graphic design skills, or maybe they know of someone uh, who has some good graphic design skills, and they could recommend them to us. So we'd really like to try to get a new logo. We'd love to have a listener or someone that a listener recommends be involved in that process. So, you know, reach out to us. Uh, our email is sailing the east. That's all one word, sailing the east at gmail.com. And uh, let's see if we can get a new, more inspiring logo designed. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, sounds good, Bailey. I hope I didn't offend you with my very direct feedback. But um, yeah, getting a little listener help with this. And we got a little bit of a budget, right? So we can maybe uh, uh, work out a deal, huh? Yeah, we sure can. Yep. Willing to throw some, some money at it. Yep. So, all right, let's jump right into the discussion. Sounds good. So it's good to see you, Heath. Hey, good to see you as well. Have you been up to the hill at all? Uh, no, I have not been skiing. Uh, I think uh, w- uh, Wednesday I'm going to go up and patrol. How about you? Hang on, you broke up there for a minute. You there? Yep, I'm here. Okay, there you are again. I don't know. So you said you think... I, I have not been up skiing yet. I have not been up patrolling. Uh, I'm planning on going up Wednesday, I think. Oh, very good. Excellent. I'm, uh, yeah, I'll be up next week. I got to finish out the year now and, uh, I'll, I'm planning on being up next week. Oh, nice. So people who are listening to this, we are recording this on, uh, December 6th, uh, 2021, just to put things in context. And, uh, we're going to talk about your boat. Uh, so listeners may remember that yeah, Heath was a, yeah, mm-hmm. Heath was a yeah. guest. <laughs> yep. Heath was a guest on the show, uh, actually on two episodes where we talked about bottom paint. Uh, Heath works for uh, Seahawk uh, Paints and uh, has been in the bottom paint, anti-fouling paint industry for a long time. And uh, so we had a good uh, episodes number 43 and 44, I believe, if I got the numbers correct. Um, those were when Heath is on. And uh, he has a uh, boat uh, that got sunk in one of the sort of tropical storms slash hurricanes this past summer. So I thought it would be good to have a conversation about that, to sort of, you know, lessons learned and what that whole experience was like. Uh, so that's what we're going to talk about in this podcast. Sure. Yeah. Um, unfortunate events, but I think there's probably a lot to, to learn from and kind of just you know what? The whole experience is what it is. You kind of have to just accept it. Right. Right. So uh, what type of boat is it, Heath? So I've got a, a 1984 Seacraft, uh, a 23-foot Seacraft center console. Uh, this boat is, when you talk center console power boats, this is an iconic boat that that people follow. They spend tons and tons of money restoring uh, in my little area of, of New England. Um, there's two guys, uh, Matan Marine and a guy uh, on Nantucket called Tidal Creeks, and both of them have they haven't built their business around it, but it's one of the things that they are known for, uh, and and it's restoring these sea crafts. Uh, it, it's a, a I think it's a Carl Mosley design. No, I apologize, Ray Hunt design, uh, and um, it's one of the two. I think it's I think it's Ray Hunt. Uh, might have to edit this one out, Bella, but, uh, that being said, we'll give them, um, we'll give them both credit for the design. Yeah. It's one of the two and I can't re- recall who it is, but, but the point is, is that there was these Potter halls 
And Potter was a builder that made these boats and they overbuilt them, as with everything in the 80s and early 60s, 70s. They didn't know how strong fiberglass was. So these boats were super overbuilt and the step hole design and the entry to this boat give it an absolutely incredible ride. So it's a coveted boat. When I, you know, it's a boat when I drive by people and I'm fishing, you know, you get big thumbs up and waves and they're like, you know, doesn't matter where I stop at a gas station when I'm towing the boat. Hey, is that a sea craft? Because my boat being in the paint industry, it's it's all painted and it, it, it's it's got a custom paint job and whatnot. So it, it, it doesn't, nobody knows what it is. It's not labeled. Um, but they do have a, a pretty classic line that, that people know and, and love. And like I said, they fully restored, uh, you know, they go for over a hundred thousand yeah. dollars, just and, like a brand new boat. Yeah. And what year, what year is your boat? So mine's in 84, which was like kind of the end of the Potter era. And then the boats got sold to, um, tracker, uh, who also owned, um, uh, the boat, uh, now I'm drawing a blank, of course. Uh, in any event, they, they own a bunch of uh, uh, boat companies. Mako is the company I'm thinking of. Uh, but uh, and and people, there's debates as to whether or not the newer sea crafts are as good as the old sea crafts. But nevertheless, mine falls into this generation where they they actually took out the wood stringers and went to composite stringers. The only wood in the boats actually, uh, well, the 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 deck has balsa core and the transom is is plywood but the uh you know wrapped in glass of course but the the stringers the structural stringers are actually composite so it was kind of that early generation headed into composite build and composite construction of course wood gets wet when you drill holes in it no matter how hard you try to seal it it, it's just what happens yeah uh so uh that being said you know it's a coveted boat very just very disappointing uh, that, that it sunk. I was literally right on the cusp of like saving money and trying to think about working with one of those two, either Matan or uh, Tidal Creeks, to have them redo the boat. Uh, and that would have been a big investment. Absolutely would have been a big investment. However, uh, new power, new electronics, they changed the whole deck configuration, remove any wood, right? So you go back to a full composite boat. Um, but yet you still have that, that classic step hole design that these boats are so well known for. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. And, yeah. And so which storm was this that the, the boat, uh, sunk? Oh, which storm? Right. So we had two storms come through Henry or Henri, I'm not sure how to say it, but that was a hurricane. It was supposed to hit us and be very devastating. Uh, I think you did a, an episode actually talking about prepping for that yeah, storm. That's right. That's right. Which, which, if I recall, turned into kind of nothing. Um, I happened to have been in upstate New York. I towed the boat up to Lake George to spend the week with my family. So no big deal. Boat comes back. The next week, there's a new storm. Now, uh, my wife and I decide we're going to put the boat in because we won't use it if it's not in the water and we pay for a slip. So let's put it right back in. Well, I was going away for that whole week. Uh, I had a week of travel. And I put it in the Friday, the evening on the Friday before I was gone for the whole weekend. And I came back the following Thursday, I think it was, yeah. which was when Ida came through uh, uh, Rhode Island. And the boat was in the water, and I didn't think anything of it. It was Tropical Storm Ida, not a hurricane, not a big deal. Wasn't wasn't too big of a deal. They, they, there was no 
publicity in the news that it was going to be a big thing. Now, of course, I had just spent the week in Florida, so my news might not have been so good. Yeah, yeah. But no, no friends called. You know, I've got a pretty good network of people that I'm friends with that live here that all have boats. And we all call each other and make sure everybody needs, if they need a hand, they're, we're, we're here to help. Uh, and I have a pickup truck, so sometimes people want to haul their boat, so I'll, I'll help them out. In any event, um, didn't think anything of it. Got back at 11 o'clock at night on a Friday, or whatever, Thursday night. Storm rolled through in the middle of the night. And uh, so, you know, we heard the storm. It was windy. It yeah. was raining. Yeah. I rolled over, I think, around 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning, looked at my wife and said, uh, hey, uh, I, I got to go up there. I got to go check on the boat. And she goes, well, you, you know, you're not going without me. Now, we're asleep. So it was like this half-asleep conversation. She goes, you're not going without me, so you're not going. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Fine. Not going. So I went back to bed. I was still, like I said, half asleep. Yeah. So five hours five hours later, my phone rings. It's now 7, 7.30 in the morning. And that's never good. Uh, so, and, and I know who's calling me. It's it's the doc's doc master. He called my cell phone. We were friends, and he goes, "I don't know how to tell you this." And I said, "I know my boat sunk." And he goes, "How are you in such a good mood about this?" And I said, "Well, I'm not, but I'm not going to be angry at you. You didn't do anything wrong. You know, I should have come up there and dealt with it. Um, you know, I, I should have been there. I should have pulled the boat out or something." Yeah. And he goes, "Wow, we never planned for anything to happen. Obviously, this big." Um. And I later learned it, it rained nine inches, nine inches. Wow. In Portsmouth, Rhode Island. <coughs> so uh, center console boat, if you don't know what they are, they're open. There's a steering center in the middle and the rest of the deck is completely open uh, to accept rain. <laughs> uh, it does have a self-draining deck, um, but nine inches is a lot of rain. Yeah. You know, and, and there's only two little scuppers that come out the back. Uh and the deck, while it's sealed, it's, you know, the, I'm sure water gets into the bilge. It's a boat. This is what happens. Um, and uh, the transom on these boats is very, very low. So the transom is the back of the boat where the motor attaches. And uh, it's, it's, it's a very low transom. It only has a 25-inch shaft on the motor. So 25 inches between the base of the motor, basically, and where the ride plate is for the engine. Um, and, uh, uh, that's where we're at. Yeah. So, um, there's, there's only about a six inch gap between the water and, and, you know, between sinking and floating. Yeah. Freeboard. Yeah. Six inches of freeboard. On Correct. The, on, on the In the transom. The rest yeah. of the boat's very high. Nice sure. freeboard. Good draft. So uh, this was a unique scenario, Bell. I, it just happened. So I had the conversation. I said, Hey, is anything leaking? My, my concern was the environment. Sure. I knew I had, I don't know, maybe 90 gallons of fuel on board. I have a 144-gallon tank. I knew I had just run the boat, but I also know that I filled it up at the beginning of my week on Lake George. Uh, I don't know how many gallons were in it exactly, uh, but it was, it was probably around 90 gallons by my estimation. So I was concerned that fuel would leak out. Now, how does fuel leak out? There's, there's vents right to sure. vent the fuel going right. in uh and and fortunately there was very little fuel leaking there was a bit of oil that leaked because it's a two-stroke uh engine and and there's oil tanks on both the engine and in the boat 
and a little bit of oil did leak. So, you know, I said, Hey Dave, I'll be right down. Let me, uh, let me just get some clothes on. I'll be down. And, uh, I get there and yeah, the boat, the boat turtled. It was totally, you know, upside down essentially, wow. uh, within its slip. Yeah. So it was in Still a tied up to the dock looking good. <laughs> so it was in a slip, uh, at a Marina and, uh, you remember which direction the wind was coming from uh, for the storm? Yeah, so so events that led up to this is is really what I'll talk to, talk touch on right now is it, so the way I dock my boat is stern to the dock, so I back in. Uh, my tie up is starboard too. There's a boat next to me, a big ocean, um, a sport fish type boat that's next to me. I don't know, forty five feet, forty six feet. And then my boat and, and, uh, uh, the wind was blowing out of the North. So it was a northerly, which is, a. It, it's not the prevailing condition. We get that only when there's big storms. Uh, so it was a northerly, which means that my transom was to the breeze. Yeah. Now behind my boat is only enough room for my outboard to be trimmed up. So I don't know, six feet and then the boat, uh, and there's, other boats behind me, two rows of docks behind me, a big breakwater. Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't like there were standing waves coming into the marina, uh, but nine inches of rain is a lot of rain. Right. Nine inches of rain and six or seven inches of freeboard on a transom. That's that's not a lot of freeboard. It's not a, a <clears throat> an equation for success, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. I, I know. On- and in the middle of the night. Sorry, Bella. In the middle of the night, I had said to myself, I need to swing this boat around. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's made me think because when, when Henry or Henri came through, uh, I remember the way my boat's docked, uh, it faces, uh, I back in and uh, the stern faces south. And that's sort of the open part of the marina, if you will. Uh, everything else, mm-hmm. there's land, you know, except from the south, which is what is a breakwater. And I remember I turned my boat around. I turned my boat around so the bow was facing uh, the south, which is if we have a heavy wind from there, that's where we're going to get any types of waves. Any other direction, wind direction, we're just not going to get anything at the marina. Uh, but I do remember turning it around. So, all right. So you get there and the boat's turtled and uh, not looking good. So what happens next? Right. So was it the only so boat the- in the marina that that – sunk or very sadly it was the only one that sunk now i've been in other storms i've been in other storms i've seen i've i've been the only boat upright before as well so i've seen the other side of this where there's boats literally sunk 10 12 boats on my dock sunk docks broke away yeah this was uh, probably four or five years ago uh we had an october storm it was like october 26th or so and it was an easterly that blew in, which is a totally weird direction for Narragansett Bay. Yeah. So we get this easterly that blows in. And I saw security fit footage from my marina because we were all very interested as to what happened. And there were standing waves coming over the breakwater. Uh, the tide was it was one of these king tides, uh, full moon. Everything was just sure. right for sure. like mass destruction. Yeah. Uh, and, and during that storm, I think 80 boats were damaged. Wow. Not all sunk, but, you know, 
once boats break free, you know, it's it's uh, it's, it's kind of like cars. a pinball game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so, so this storm, I was the only boat. Unfortunately, it was pretty embarrassing, actually, because I'm, you know, I, I I do this for a living. I, I've I've run boats my whole life. I'm usually very much so proactive. Yeah. I'm the guy with yeah. extra lines out. How did it happen to me? Well. It happens. it happens. It can happen to anybody. Yeah. So, so what's, what happens after that? So, you know, they call you, your boat sunk, you went out there, you looked at it and then, you know, I've never been through one of these experiences. So what, what happens next? Right. So I learned a lot, uh, Bella, I learned a lot from it. So the first thing that happened is I, I, I called towboat, uh, towboat us. I have a, a membership with them. Uh, I have trailer towing insurance. I have, uh, insurance on the boat. If it breaks down, they'll bring me fuel, whatever their gold level, whatever that is. Uh, well, they said to me, uh, sir, um, is the boat actively sinking or is it sunk? I said, well, it's, it's sunk. <laughs> they said, more or less, not my problem. You need to call your insurance. Yeah. So there's a there's a distinct line. If the boat is actively sinking, yes, you call your tow company. If the boat has sunk, you call your insurance. Didn't know that. So hung up with them, called the insurance. Insurance says, uh, are you the only boat in the marina that sunk? <laughs> I'm like, oh, God. Oh, God, this is not good. Why are they asking me this? Well, what they were asking for is if there's a lot of boats, they'll send a whole team. Oh, got it. So that that's number one. If there's a lot of boats, they send a whole team because I have – I have progressive at this point in time with insurance. Just it's how it worked out this year. Um, and so they would send people out knowing that they probably have other boats there. Uh, the other thing they do automatically is if it's catastrophic in a whole Marina, kind of like that October 26th storm. Yeah. They literally send you money right away. It just, it just arrives. They don't even look at the boat. They just send money, which I thought was pretty interesting as well. Uh, but that didn't happen this time. The insurance company said, well, let's set up a claim, set up a claim. Uh, do you have towing insurance? Well, I do. Uh, they said, well, you can use yours if you want. Otherwise, we have a contract with CTO. It'll probably be less expensive. I said, I don't, whatever, whatever is easiest. Yeah. Uh, they said, well, we'll be happy to set it all up. Okay. We're going to call them right now. Uh, Give me 10 minutes. I'll call you back. Okay. So I hung out at the boat. There's nothing I could do. Sure. Nothing <laughs> floated away because the boat right. was upside down. So everything was up stuck underneath the boat. Uh, and it wasn't actively, uh, you know, the, the Marina has um, oil containment Yeah. and, and, and uh, they have booms and things, but there was nothing actively really leaking at this point in time. But my concern again was what's the environmental concern and selfishly, how do we prevent fines? Right. And on the other side, how do we, you know, contain anything so that we're not doing damage to the environment. Narragansett Bay is, it's a beautiful place and who wants to, to be a part of that. Right. So, uh, CETO shows up uh, maybe a half an hour later. And the insurance company called me right back. They did a great job, said, hey, th we've got a captain that's coming out to assess the damage. Um, he'll be there within 30 minutes. Can you wait? Well, sure, I can wait. 
what else am I going to do? Um, and being a sales rep, I just went into the marina and started selling. <laughs> Worked out great. Uh, so in, in any event, um, we the marina was incredibly supportive. Uh, they they offered to do anything I ever needed uh, from setting up booms or whatever. You know, they, they were there for me. Uh, even in an emotional uh, front, my buddy kind of put his arm around me and was like, hey, man, it's going to be all right. Right. And I'm like, I'm fine. It's uh, it, do people get really emotional about this, I guess. And I think some people do. And you know what? My boat's a center console. It's not my home. It's not a place that I sleep on. It's it's a boat that I go fishing on. I take my family out on. Yes, it was emotional in the fact of, oh, man, there's a lot of memories on this thing. Um, but, you know, here we are. Right. So Cito comes. I ask him. They, they didn't even want to put a boom around the thing. And I said, well, no, guys, just in case. You know, if, I don't know what can happen, but just in case. Uh, so they put a boom around the boat. And... Um, and that was it. And that boom's just that oil absorbent material. Yeah. It's got some floating flotation to it. Yeah. And it sits on the surface and it soaks up oil and, and other contaminants, fuel, uh, and contains it. Um, you see them, you've seen it before sure. for other yeah, yeah. oil spills, et cetera. Yeah. So uh, they do that and they said, listen, uh, we set up a plan for the next day. Uh, and they showed up on time and started to raise the boat. Uh, so we moved my neighbor's boat out of the way um, for the next morning. And they showed up with their larger, uh, I think they call it their salvage boat. It has pumps. It, it's a big, it was an ex-Coast uh, Guard boat, uh, 42 feet. Uh, and they backed it in right next to my boat. A diver showed up that they contract with. And uh, off they went. Wow. Um, so uh, the next morning started 10 a.m. Uh, they tied. The uh, first thing they do is the diver goes down and looks at everything. Then he comes up with a plan. Uh, with center consoles, my boat has a T-top. And that's just basically like a roof over, over the actual center of the boat. Provides a little bit of shade. Uh, and what he does is he, he tied on uh, a lift bag. So this is a, a bag that they can put compressed air in and uh, provide flotation. So they tie this lift bag on the top of the cons uh, on the top of the T top, and what that does is is because uh, it, it's it's up above the boat. It provides you know leverage. A writing moment, so right? Get, so it's almost like a, a keel, moment, right? Exactly. It's kind of kind of just wanna, like a keel. We're gonna flip the boat over. Exactly. So a, a keel, but the opposite. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they get the boat on its side. So they do that. Uh, so now the boat's hanging on its side. Um, and then they, uh, so the boat was transomed too. So they, they, they put a lift bag on the port side now and provide the same buoyancy, right? Yep. And they lift it up. At the same time, they put one on the starboard side because you don't want to, have it go the other way. Go turtle the other way, right? <laughs> exactly. So now they got to, and then they balance it with these compressors to wow. keep uh, positive buoyancy in the boat. And then they start with a big dewatering pump. Uh, you've seen them in construction, big trash pump type thing. And they throw that in the boat and it just starts pumping water. This whole process, I mean, we're talking about it longer than it took them. Really? 
believe it or not, I think the whole thing, I, I filmed the whole thing. Uh, just set a camera up because I thought it would be sure. interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, the whole thing took 40 minutes. Wow, that's remarkable. Start to finish. Ah, they're pros. These guys are good. This and I'll tell you, the boat came, the boat came up, not a scratch on it. Wow. Uh, so not a scratch, but everything on board was <laughs> toast. Kaput. Yeah, it yeah. was done. So, so you got the um, boat floating again, right? But like you said, basically everything's ruined, right? And salt water, all the wiring, all the electronics, uh, the engine, right? It's been submerged. Uh, it's just everything, right? So then what happens 100%. next? 100%. Yeah, what happens next? So, you know, obviously there's the financial aspect of it. So yeah. you, you, the boat's floating and they want to go on to their next one because it was a storm and there were other boats that sunk. So they went right on to the next boat right after me. But uh, they make you sign a bunch of forms, uh, basically informing you that your insurance is going to pay for it. They contracted us. But of course, just in case your insurance doesn't pay for it, we <laughs> right. need your credit card. You're on the hook. <laughs> right. So so you give them the credit card and, and you sign some documents and they give you a carbon copy and they leave. And now your boat's floating with no power and you got to get it out of the water somehow. So... You know, the marina said, eh, no problem. We'll bring a skiff over and we'll, we'll bring it over to the launch ramp. Uh, my boat sits on a trailer. It's 23 feet. Uh, so I, I have a trailer. I brought my trailer with me that morning. Uh, we went to the launch ramp and the yard did a phenomenal job. Not, not, I mean, not a mark on the boat. And they were able to use their skiff to power the boat onto my trailer. And uh, seamless, seamless. So... The one thing that was interesting is they put a jump pack on the uh, on on the batteries to my boat once it, once the water was out of it because we needed to get a hose into the actual bilge uh, and we wanted to see if a did the bilge pumps work because well the bilge pumps can go underwater that's the one thing I'll tell you those bilge pumps are still good yeah, <clears throat> yeah. that and my underwater lights go figure so uh, they hooked up this jumper pack which is basically just a big battery uh, and ran power through my, my electrical system. Wow. Which powered, powered the bilge pumps. Bilge pumps immediately came on and started working. So, wow. Interesting. Bilge pumps didn't fail me. What really happened? Um, so we dewatered the boat even further, got it up out of the water and then, of course, they, they put the boat on the trailer. Um, it was pretty interesting to me that the bilge pumps came right on. I honestly had thought one of them had broken or something. Um, my boat has a solar panel. So lessons learned, right? My boat has a solar panel charging system that tops off the batteries. And it had been out there for days, and it was sunny all week. So there was no reason why it wasn't fully charged. My batteries were uh, like 18 months old. They should very good batteries, no problems. Um, I never have an issue starting my engine. I never drain the batteries all the way. There are two batteries, 12 volt group 24, standard batteries. I truly believe that there was just that much rain on the deck that it pushed it low enough to allow water to come over the transom. And it doesn't matter what bilge pump you put on it. None of that. It's just what it is. 
Bela, I'm a little nervous. This does not sound like it will end well. Uh, but we'll find out the conclusion of the story in our next episode. But let me ask you this. Does this kind of scenario keep you awake at night? Well, Mike, it does. You know, uh, <laughs> no one wants to to receive a phone call late at night. Uh, usually when the phone rings at night or very early in the morning, it's not good news, uh, regardless of, of what the subject is. And I, I do worry about it. So we went through two tropical storms here. And if you remember for one of them, uh, which was Henri, uh, I went to the boat and I stripped all the canvas off the boat, took off the Dodger and the Bimini and put in double dock lines, et cetera. And that storm sort of turned out to be, it was predicted to be really strong and bad, but it sort of wasn't all that bad, at least up where the boat was. And then uh, Tropical Storm Ida, which was predicted not to be bad, I didn't do anything for. Uh, and it turned out that that one was stronger than people anticipated. So, you know, not only do you do you worry about storms and, you know, you can, you can have a, a thunderstorm that'll be as strong as a hurricane. It won't last as long, it might only be for, you know, 10, 15 minutes, but you can have some pretty high winds and thunderstorms. Uh, so, yeah, I always worry about it. You always worry about a line coming loose or cleat ripping off the dock. Or, you know, as we've talked before, the one thing that's always ironic, I think, in boats is, you know, they, they, they make this beautiful hull out of fiberglass. And then when you start putting stuff in it, you start drilling all these holes in the bottom <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, you start drilling holes for the engine cooling to get water and, the, and the, you know, the various different other systems that are on the boat. So you always worry about one of those sort of coming loose. And I'll tell you, before I leave the boat, I close all of those. So they're all, they all have valves on them. They're called seacocks. And whenever I leave the boat, I close every one of those. Um, but yeah, you, you know, it's always in the back of my mind, but I don't, I don't lose sleep over it. Although when the storms come through, like when a, hur a hurricane Henri came through, um, I was worried. And my son, who lives close to it, uh, you know, went over and checked the boat the following day and he said, you know, everything looked good and everything was fine. Now, that is interesting. I mean, I remember when we talked through your decision to to uh, keep your boat in Rhode Island. And that's a few hours away. Um, your son, I know you can count on him to make kind of last minute adjustments and to check on it. But he's a busy guy, right? Him and his wife both are, are, are work yep. all day and they've got a kid and right. Um, any second thoughts about that decision? No, it's, for us, it's still the right right decision. Uh, it's it has worked out very well. I mean, look, if 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 I had my druthers, I, I wish the boat was a five minute drive away from where we live. I mean, there, there's value to that proximity, uh, but that's not where we live. <laughs> there is no place for me to keep a boat uh, of that size. You know, within uh, I guess Lake Champlain would be the closest place, which is a good hour and a half. And, and that's, it's a nice place to sail, but it's not the same as Narragansett Bay and Long Island Sound and Buzzards Bay and the East Coast of the United States. So I could have it on the shore of Connecticut someplace, which would probably be a two and a half to three hour drive instead of a three and a half to four hour drive. So yeah, there's value in that, but my son's there. Uh, that gives me some comfort. And I'll tell you, there's, there's plenty of boats there. I remember for Hurricane Henri that nobody came to do anything to the boat. Right. It was clear. Yeah. They just, you know, they, they either didn't have the time or, 
or they're really even further away. Uh, I mean, there's some people who keep the boat at the marina this summer that I met that were um, from Texas, and and they flew up for a couple weeks every a couple every couple of weeks. <laughs> right. So yeah, it's all right. But yeah, there's there's always angst with any type of asset you own, whether it's a house or a car or a boat or you know whatever asset you might have. You know, there's a storm. You have a vacation home someplace or a second home someplace, and you know there's a big snowstorm or a big rainstorm, and you worry about it. And and like I like to say, you always that's what insurance is for, right? You always have insurance, and that's what insurance is for. And that is a good foreshadowing of part two of this episode. So maybe we should leave it at that. What do you think? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, because the insurance is important, and uh, we we dive into that in part two. So. Mike, as always, uh, it's, uh, it's good uh, to chat with you about these things. So, uh, listeners, thanks for joining us for another episode. Uh, we hope you found that our conversation interesting and thought-provoking. And if you have questions about what we've discussed, uh, please get in touch with us. Our email is sailingtheeast at gmail.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, please hit that follow or like button on your podcasting app. And if you know somebody that would make a good guest on the show or a topic you'd like us to cover, by all means, let us know. Uh, Bela will be spending most of the summer, well, the winter, waiting for the days in the summer when he can sail around Narragansett Bay, Long Island Sound, and Buzzards Bay. And I'll be over here in Germany waiting for Bela's next adventure. So until next time, signing off from Münster, Germany. Bela, see you next time. Sounds good, Mike. Signing off from snowy upstate New York. See you soon.